yeah, I don't really need it anymore. But it was already hitting production. The company had already spent out of their pocket to oh, wow. put the deposit down. They're just recouping their costs. Yeah. So they're calling everyone. And because I was just in there and the conversation we had was great. So he called me and he's like, You're listening to The Sue Podcast with your host, Brian Keeney. This is the place to hear from members of the Sault Ste. Marie community and beyond. We're on a mission to give local voices a platform to share their stories and experiences. Whether it's supporting small business, discussing local politics, or tracking real estate trends. Find it all on the Sioux Podcast. The dog barking is hard to hear. I heard the headphones, not the microphone. There's a dog barking? I didn't even realize. <laughs> I literally I had no idea. Nope, me <laughs> either. <laughs> I had nothing. He's yeah. so funny. Like he'll, he'll after t- five or ten minutes, he'll bark to go outside. Mm-hmm. He'll run around outside for a few minutes. Then he'll bark to come inside, and then he'll just keep doing this multiple times a day. Oh yeah, and I'm like, just pick one, bro. <laughs> That's when the dog door comes in handy. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about that. We have one technically, just left up on the uh, uh, window there in the door. Yeah, undo but- it and then lift it up. Yeah, wait, wait but... the door has a window? Yeah. The back door has a window? Yeah. In this house? Yes. <laughs> I did not know that. Whose house is it? Is <laughs> it yours? I had no idea. On the top, there's a little no. thing. And you just turn it to the right. We're going to have to look at that. I've already done it. You've already done it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. of course. You left him alone oh here for God. a week. <laughs> exactly. Holy sh- I don't even know how my own house works. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me. So the other day, um, uh, Tracy's like, did you know you have this drawer in your kitchen? And I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? So it's basically you open this drawer, and then near the top of the drawer, there's this very, very thin second drawer. You can open that, and you have this, like, flat Oh, it's a cutting glass. board. Yeah like, a, yeah, like a cutting board kind of drawer or whatever it's called. And I'm like, holy shit. I was like, this is... This is too fancy. Well, the light. <laughs> well, there's no such thing as too fancy. Yeah. And it's got the lights the and everything. Lights yeah, the lights. Sink. Yeah, and they just glows really nicely. And I was just like, like it, I, I was already happy with my purchase when I acquired this house. And I'm yeah. just like, I didn't even know this was here. And I'm, I'm, I'm even happier now. Little yeah. hidden gems that yeah. just make it all the worthwhile. Oh, yeah. Yesterday, still... he's like, uh, there's a light over there? Like, where's the light switch? That's yeah. the light. Yeah, this is like a random light that yeah. was on in the kitchen. And I was like, I didn't know I had a light over there. And you were like, the switch is over here. And I'm like, I didn't know I had a switch on that wall. <laughs> I've lived here for four months. <laughs> Find the coffee maker. <laughs> the, the house that uh, we used to live in, Jason can tell you, all the different light switches all over the place. It Within was, two days. It was <laughs> nuts how many light switches that bloody house had. Downstairs in the basement, there's like five different light switches oh. across the basement. Yep. Yep. The basement was a 70s wonderland. So oh, like, yeah. you walk down into my basement and you are 100% transported into the 70s. Like the orange modeled gray or orange yeah. model brown shag carpet. Yeah. The the wallpaper, the wood paneling, and then the, the coup de gras. Yeah. Oh, yes. There was a wall of mirrors. But the coup de gras here was all over. There was um, like sconce lighting. Yeah. And it had a little dial, and that dial turned on fake fire Holy in these sconces. <laughs> and so it was very 
very ask of like seventies bound chicken wow wow. You know what I mean? <laughs> I love yeah. that. Jason's uh, just nodding his head. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Hundred uh, yeah, percent. I was I was moving yeah. into that house, and I, I have a really good friend, and he's he's older, you yeah. know, born in the sixties, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he walked downstairs to drop some flooring down there for me, and he just stopped dead in his tracks, and he's like, "I've been taking home." <laughs> he's like, "This is exactly what my oh, house used man. to look like in." In the 70s oh, and I'm like man. don't don't please don't tell me this I do not have the money to renovate this right yeah, now yeah, 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 yeah. um we didn't end up renovating it when we sold we just yeah. remodeled the bathroom called it a day Bob's your uncle have fun with the house yeah gotcha but uh yeah one wall had there was five different light switches that yeah. controlled five different lights and then over here there was a light switch and over here there was a light switch so in the far back corner was a light switch that yep operated someplace else yep there yeah. is a one light just back in a weird corner that operated one light right above it. I'm yeah. like, what is the purpose of this? Um, so all told, I think that house had like 25 different light switches. Huh. And the worst part was, is my front living room didn't even have a ceiling light in it. <laughs> so I I had 25 light switches and a, a whole room. And like, this is a big room, right? So yeah. we're talking like the one wall was like almost 37 feet long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no lights. Holy smokes. Yeah. So um, that was, it was an interesting house to say the least. Yeah, it yeah, was, yeah. it was built in the seventies. That was in the suit? Uh, no, that was in Kitchener. Kitchener. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's why I vowed, I'm like, I'm not buying a house this old again, unless no. it's been completely remodeled and renovated. Cause gotcha. I'm like, I've had enough of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But, Weird layout too. Well, it was. Um, in the basement. Yeah. So it was <laughs> yeah. a five story back split, oversized back split. Oh yeah. So you walk in the door and you're on the main level and then you can go up a level or down a level. And that down a level is supposed to be your basement. Yeah. But because this house was so large, you'd go down another set of stairs into the basement. But then if you go through the, what I used to call the magic door into Narnia, which is our storage area of the house, it's like six inches shy of being a full, full size basement. So that's where your additional story comes in. But it was just... Because it's a back split, it's, the house is yeah. all split into those yeah. different levels and ex- experiences. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was a it was a big house though. Random walls, yeah. pillars in the basement. I'm sure those are lo- load bearing for some particular reason. But still, like you have a wall that goes across for like a bit of a time. Wall yeah. opening, wall nothing. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. And then yeah, yeah, for reasons known only to the previous homeowners, they had cupboards. Cupboards with countertops and upper cupboards on this like little random speck of a wall. Huh. So you'd come down the stairs into my basement and then there'd be a doorway and you can go right through that doorway. That's where the laundry area was. That's where the bathroom was. Yeah. And you can go back. Well, there's probably maybe about five feet of wall. Yeah. And that wall had three cupboards on top and bottom and countertop, but then it opened back up again into the same room. So yeah. you'd basically just go in a full circle in my basement. Yeah. If not for this one, like this one freaking wall, we couldn't figure out why it was there. Uh, we were going to take it out, but weren't in the house long enough. Gotcha. Yeah. The, the comment you made about like, I, we just you know did a little bit of a bathroom reno and then sold it, you know, like 
not worth putting in lots of time and money and reno and stuff into oh, that. Oh, that was all we did in the basement. Yeah. We, I completely remodeled the entire kitchen, upstairs oh, wow. bathroom, main floor bathroom, and the basement bathroom. Oh, wow. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. Okay. It, I misheard you. The, it was, that's all we touched in the basement. Because gotcha. I couldn't afford to do a full basement reno yeah, on yeah, everything. Yeah. But uh, when we moved in, it had a galley kitchen. Yeah. Had maybe five square feet of countertop space. Yeah. Um, it It was straight from the 70s as well like yeah, powder yeah. blue colored everything white and and like maybe silver maybe yeah 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 maybe i don't know um but by the time it was done it was all chocolate browns and whites and there was 40 square feet of countertop space so it used huh. to be a dine-in kitchen yeah and there was like a, a metal railing that separated the two levels because yeah. the kitchen would back onto the what i called the living room yeah or technically i called it my library because yeah. it was mostly books and so we took out that railing and just did cupboards. So it was once you walk in my front foyer, you had your closet, you went through a door, and it was just countertop. Countertop as far as the eye can see. Yeah. It went all the way down one, turned at a 45-degree angle or on an L, and went along here. And then I had additional over here. And because I wanted to make the most room, uh, most of the space, I ripped out a pantry and recessed some wall ovens. Gotcha. And then we put the countertop on the counter. So we had a gas cooktop and separate wall oven. So it was a pretty upgraded kitchen by the time yeah. I left that place. Sounds like it. And we did 85% of it DIY. The only things wow. we didn't do were finishing touches and install the granite countertops because they're heavy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So tell us, Jay, about the countertops and how you just went to the uh, sale part of it, sample shelf. Got three that look the exact same. Oh yeah. Um, so I have ridiculous luck. <laughs> that we got or, a story incoming. <laughs> yeah, that or um, somehow or another, I just bullied the world into giving me what I want. Sometimes. <laughs> so I was on a budget and yeah. I was upgrading my brand new laminate countertop because I don't like laminate. Yeah. And I wanted quartz. Yeah. So walked into this uh, countertop place. They specialize. And I'm like, ooh, I really like this design, but it was like $45 a square foot. Yeah. And come back to, I have 40 square feet. Like, that was way too much money for me. So they brought me out to the back where they have test runs. Okay. And so no two sheets are identical. There's something that's different in each of them because the manufacturer is testing to see what what they can change, what they can improve. And I ended up needing three sheets for my entire kitchen. And they actually made me sign a waiver saying that I acknowledge that these three pieces, when installed, may look nothing alike. (laughs) In that I am purchasing as is. And, you know, there's not really anything you can do about it. So I'm like. (laughs) It's funny that they made you sign that. Oh, 100%. They, (laughs) they, like, made sure I read it. They read it to me. They they re-explained it as I was signing it. I'm like, okay, you're serious about this. I get it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, do it anyway. Yeah. I don't care. Do it anyway. And they're like, okay. They get it installed in the house. Lo and behold, you can't even see a seam. Oh, wow. All right. Everything. Mission accomplished. Holds. Yeah, everything's together. Like, you'll have yeah. pieces over here that match with these pieces and everything else. Yeah. yeah. Holy smokes. And your couch that you got fit perfectly on that wall. Yep. Um, the couch I have in the living room was originally purchased from my living room back home. Every time we went to a store, I'm like, no, the couch needs to be bigger. And they'd all look at me like I'm insane. They're like, are you actually sure you know how big of a couch you need? I'm like, yes. They're like, well, what are the measurements? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't measure the room. Yeah. And they're like, what do you mean you didn't measure the room? I'm like, I didn't. I just spatially know that's too small. Yeah. It's a very large room. 
And so six or seven different furniture stores later, I come across um, Furniture Wonderland. It was locally owned and operated in Canadian made furniture. And they had to go to a retirement sale happening. And I walk in and I'm walking around and I'm like, that's the couch. And they actually like were taken aback. They're like, that is a very large piece of furniture. Like most places will not fit this furniture. I'm like, I hear you. That's going to fit perfectly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hands down, that is going to be the perfect fit. And took a little bit of convincing, but I'm like, would you please trust me? I've seen my house, you haven't. <laughs> I've seen my house, you haven't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's used to the way I speak to people when, yeah. I, when I've had enough. You know I've had enough. That's great. Um, this is her job. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> purchase it. It was on a ridiculous sale. They go to bring it in. They can't even get into my front door. Yeah. They can't get it in my back door. They ended up having to take my back patio door off the rail. Oh, wow. In order to fit this damn thing in my house. Oh, wow. And get it upstairs. Lo and behold, it fit perfectly. Ah, like an inch on both sides. That must have been so um, satisfying. Yeah. <laughs> and even my husband, he and so I have aphantasia. So I, yeah. I have no visualization at all in my brain. Like I cannot picture anything. If somebody were to tell me to picture an apple, I'd see black. I, I have a friend who has the same thing and, yeah. and she would just lose her mind if I introduced the two of you together. She'd be like, oh my God, someone else has it too. Yeah. Like I have full sensory aphantasia. I can't, yeah. I can't remember smell, sight, anything. Like there's yeah. just no senses in my head. It's yeah. a lonely voice in a black room. Yeah. 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 And so my husband looked at me knowing I have this and he's like, how the hell did you just do this? <laughs> And never, like, doubt never, no. doubt <laughs> never, never doubt this one. Never doubt this one. Never doubt this one. I'm like, I just knew. Yeah. Like, it was a sixth sense of, I know how big this room is. Yeah. And even though I can't picture the room, for some reason, I catalog everything to such a great detail in my brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. I can tell spatially what's going to fit and what's not going to fit. And, yeah. like, it's uncanny what I can do this with. Yeah. Like, I've, I've brought home many pieces of furniture in the past, and my husband will be like, that's not going to fit there. I'm like, watch me. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Watch gotcha. me. This yeah. is going to fit. In my basement, the, I have an 84-inch um, entertainment kind of shelf under the TV. And I originally purchased 72, but they were out of stock. And they're like, well, what about 84? And my husband's like, that's not going to fit yeah. on the wall. I'm like, yes, it will. Probably have an inch or two difference like too short but it'll fit it'll be fine he's like no it's not going to fit and i just looked at him and i looked at at the sales lady and i said we'll take it and (laughs) get it home get it installed lo and behold again one inch on either side sparing yeah 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 one inch from the corner one inch from the edge of the wall like it it fit like it was built to be in this space and he just shakes his head and walks away from me sounds like you should have been an architect or an engineer like I, I do love yeah. those kind of yeah. things. Like well, just, you're in software, but yeah. I mean, it's still technical. But yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, no, for some reason, spatial, spatial awareness and, and fitting yeah. in, in like, that's just something my brain tends to excel yeah. at. Yeah. I, I find that might be a family trait of yours. Cause I find that Tracy's spatial awareness is very, very good as well. Not to say that mine's particularly good, but hers is better than mine. I don't know what that suggests because I don't know if mine sucks or is pretty good or is average. So there's no reference point there. That's but fair. like, yeah, I, I'm like, oh, pretty good. Wow. Okay. So now it's both the Alberta sisters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I've definitely thrown some people for a loop because I refuse to measure anything other than like cabinets and countertops and stuff like that. Cause that yeah. has to be accurate within like millimeters. Yeah. 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 Of course. But if it's just general sense of scale and size, yeah. 
you'll never find me with a yeah with a ruler or measuring tape. Speaking of rentals, Jason and I were like brainstorming ideas of what to do with the other half of this basement. As oh. you can see, like so this this podcast studios right now <clears throat> home studio set up with a you know you know half of the space half of the basement is all finished looks fabulous and then the other half is like it's just sort of a blank canvas that's waiting for some you know creativity so we were thinking about all kinds of different flooring we can put in there we were thinking about like all all this is this is a whole setup i've always been like a bit of a creative geek I don't even know if that's a term, but like any anything I'll that has to, yeah anything that has to do with like content creation and stuff like that, like video, AV stuff, like that's always like got me really excited. Like for example, okay, here, here's a perfect example. When I was uh, back in the GTA before I moved to the Sioux, yes, I you know everybody knows I was running my law firm, you know, since of which I have since sold. That's a whole story I'll probably tell maybe this episode or another episode, but. <laughs> But yeah, so like I, I was like in the thick of like just the the whole legal corporate big city scene. Like anyone who's watched Suits, it was it was kind of like that. The thing is, like I w- I was doing all that stuff, and yes, I had that drive and that excitement for entrepreneurship and running a business and all that, and being able to excel in the career that I went to school for. But the thing that I would do in my free time and also dedicate several thousands of dollars of like <laughs> personal wealth towards was TEDx conferences. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I was, <clears throat> I was the organizer for the TEDx Mississauga conference from like, I would say, I think from memory, like 2015 to 2019. And it's a good run. It's a good run. It was a good run and it's, it's a not for profit. So yep. TEDx organizers, TEDx organizers around the world, if anyone is listening to this knows if you've done it before, you know that, it's a labor of love because you most of the time lose money. So you look at it like a hobby that costs you money. Best case scenario, your event breaks even, or let's say you have a little bit extra left over if you're very lucky and you set that aside for the following year's expenses. Yep. And that's it, right? Like you don't pay yourself a salary, stuff like that. I think, I think Ted may have updated their policies within the last couple of years to make it a little bit more flexible. Uh, to compensate people for like the hard work they do. And like there's certain types of roles you can have like speaker coaching and stuff. I believe speaker coaches for those types of events can be paid, Mm, especially considering how important it is for those speakers to deliver exceptional quality, which Ted is known for. Right. And and that's not always easy to do when you're, when you're dealing with like a small local TEDx community event. And for those who don't know the difference between Ted and TEDx is that TEDx are independently organized um, and there, there's oversight from Ted in terms of like the, uh, you know, certain rules that have to be followed and guidelines and, and you know, t- generally speaking, TEDx organizers are very diligent about following those rules, which is why, you know, you get so much great consistent content out of it. Um, there have been some exceptions and stuff like that, but if we're in situations where there are issues, like, you know, it's just simple as it, it's as simple as taking down the video if it doesn't meet standards. Anyway, the reason I bring all of that up is some of the most exciting adventures that I'd ever been on was in the course of being an event organizer for this incredible brand. The whole experience of dealing with, coordinating with the AV company and the venue owner and uh, vetting speakers and, uh, you know, registering guests at the, like, like 
the, the the general public at the event just just the whole thing and like like getting you know having a, a a videographer come in and document the whole thing and create like a really fun and exciting after video like it was yeah. it was cool like we did some we did some cool stuff and I've, you know I, again it's no it's there's a there's a very clear and unambiguous reason as to why 2019 was the year it all stopped because of the pandemic hit in 2020. Yes. That's it. That's it right there. Like I would have probably continued TEDx Mississauga Adventures for maybe a couple more years or whatever. I don't know uh, if that hadn't happened. But as soon as they, you know, put the brakes on all public gatherings and all that stuff and you couldn't have like the whole event industry just stopped. And that was weird for me. I mean, it was weird for a lot of people, but it was particularly weird for me because so much of my personal life and my hobbies and my passions were tied up in event creation, content creation, sorry, event management and content creation right. and that whole world. And I was trying to balance that with running a mid-sized law firm where with, with like some 10 odd lawyers working there and another 15 or so support staff. Like it was, we had thousands of clients. Like it was, it was a serious operation. Like, I mean, I'd never, at some point earlier in my career, I'd never imagined that our, our legal, you know, law firm business was going to get that huge. And then, you know, let alone attract, you know, the attention of a, a you know, a buyer mm -hmm. in my, what is it? I don't know, my eighth or ninth year of practicing law and some, you know, private equity firm comes along and says, we see the value in your company and we're going to make you an offer you can't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And like, I mean, it was like, I, I looked at it and I, and I debated it for a while. I'm like, ah, do I really want to do this? You know, it's, it's, it's your baby. You built it up. It's got your name on it and stuff like that. But, you know, ultimately people go into business for one primary reason, which is to build a secure financial future. Right. And, you know, when that secure financial future, that secure financial future can take many forms. It can be in the form of a buyout. And I'm, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> it's not lost on me that like tax law is probably the most boring thing anyone can talk about. So I'm going to be <laughs> as brief about this as possible <laughs> because it is still pretty cool. For anyone who doesn't know, if you own an eligible small business in Canada and you sell the shares of that business, in, basically in plain English, you start a company, you sell that company. The sale of those shares can be and it are in most cases tax free and that's that's very important because if you look at how much money you would receive for selling shares in like a you know pretty significantly successful business and when i say significantly successful i say like its revenues are in the millions of dollars mm -hmm. so if you have a company that's bringing in gross annual revenue in the multi-million dollar range uh, which sounds crazy it's like oh well i'm just going to wake up one morning and start a multi-million dollar company it's so easy right like it You'd be surprised. I've, I've, I've worked with so many clients. I've seen it in so many industries. I've seen contractors running multi-million dollar operations. I've seen lawyers running multi-million dollar, operation, multi dollar operations. I've, I've even seen truck drivers who are making so much money they don't know what to do with it. Like it, it's, it really doesn't come down to your specific chosen industry. It comes down to how entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial you are Yep. within your profession, how creative you are within your profession. And I think anyone who works hard enough, who has enough creativity and drive in this country can pick a profession that they're passionate about, pick an industry and build a big successful company. And if you're lucky enough to then sell that company, getting back to the point that that's a tax-free lottery ticket, winning lottery ticket landing in your hand. 
Compare that to going out and working a nine to five job as what they call a T4 employee. And you're paying income taxes on those wages. There's there's your gross income. And then, of course, there's your after tax income. So you you have to ask yourself, how many years would I have to work to save up that kind of after tax income to rival what you would receive from the sale of shares of a business on a tax free basis? Like these are the secrets of the game that they don't teach you in school that you almost have to like go out and talk to a CPA, talk to a lawyer, find out what are the rules that apply to big business in this country and ask yourself, how do those rules differ from the rules that kind of apply to the everyday average person showing up to their job? Right. And if you, if you take a deep dive into that, you're going to see there's a whole world of wealth creation and commerce underneath all that. And I'm sort of like preaching to the converted because I know that you have an idea of some of this stuff, but I'm sure a lot of our viewers don't. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like you, you work in a pretty reputable, big city, Toronto software firm and you're smart enough to take that income and live in a place like Sault Ste. Marie, where generally speaking, the cost of living is significantly less than Toronto. So you take advantage of that gap between revenue and expense. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was a big thing for me is I was looking around Southern Ontario and I'm like, well, you know, I've outgrown my house. I kind of want to see what else is out there. And everything I was looking at is in the millions now. Oh, yeah. Easily. And and we were, keep in mind, an hour outside of Toronto. We yeah. weren't even in core Toronto. The closer you get, the more ridiculous it got. Yeah. Um, and so I, I looked back home, because originally from here, and the houses I saw selling were half a mil and under. And I'm like... Yes, please. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In this remote work world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why wouldn't you? Yeah. So, you know, you you have your cake and you eat it too because you still have your your big city job. Yeah. You still have your very tech-enabled job, which there isn't a lot of in Northern Ontario. Yep. Um, But I also have the the expenses and the family and the friends and the network and the connections here. So truly is the best of both worlds in in our case. Absolutely. You know, husband gets to go back to school where he's familiar. He's gone to the school before. The only other college in Ontario offering his course is in Toronto again. Yeah. So, you know, we'd have to look at an hour commute each way each day, which let's face it at rush hour, that is not an hour. Yeah. Yeah, That's three to four easily. Yeah. Um, Or relocating to Toronto. But again, if my area is a million for a decent family sized home in Toronto, I'm looking at maybe two to three. Yeah. Yeah, You know, especially within the area of the college. Um, So by moving here, he gained access to that course. And so now he's going on becoming bachelor of engineering in, in its chosen field. And I get to have my, my big city job and yeah. my small town home. Yeah. Um, so it's, there's, there's no number that anyone would be able to pay me to live in downtown Toronto. And, no. and I mean that it sounds like I'm exaggerating, but I've actually, so I've, I've, you know, mindlessly scrolling TikTok, you'll run across like some random video. That's like, take a look at this $19 million penthouse in Toronto. And like, I'll, I'll, I'll watch the whole video yeah. and I'll be like, okay, if I had $19, $20 million, there's absolutely no way I'd be living there. There's no, no unquest- you could give it to me for free and I wouldn't live there. Like I've, I've looked at like, and, and for context in the Sioux, if you wanted to go spend two, three, four, five, six million dollars on a house, 
unfortunately, there aren't any <laughs> houses that are at that sale price out here. I mean, there there are a some very, very small handful of houses yeah, like, that are in like the 1 to 1.5 range. Oh, easily. I've yeah. seen one two, uh, one $2 million property. Yeah. Um, and I say property yeah. because it's a property. You yeah. get the, the big house, the big garage, the waterfront. Oh, like, yeah. It's an almost an estate, if you yeah. will, because you get a significant amount of land to live on. You get a oh, yeah. ginormous house, yeah, five yeah, yeah. car garage, and it's like the lap of luxury. That, and that's two what, million. Yeah, it makes sense because like when we were growing up, you know, like we're we're in our mid thirties now. When we were growing up, we would think of like a quote unquote million dollar house. It would have all of the bells and whistles, all yeah. the the luxury you can think of. Yep. And and that was the standard of what seven figures would get you. Right. Now we live in this sort of crazy twilight zone <laughs> where it's like, oh, this tiny shoebox, which is slowly falling apart and has a rat infestation, is going for $1.8 million, right? Like, oh, yeah. And, what is happening? And, you know, I see like, you kind of rubbing your hands there. And yeah, I imagine them like, doing the, much the same thing yeah. with dollar signs in their <laughs> yeah. eyes. Like, I can't believe we fooled this generation. <laughs> Yeah, you know, um, right? Like, what the? And fortunately, it's not like that in the Sioux. I, I, I like no. that there's some level of sanity in our real estate market here yeah. where you can live in these. Like, I think this is a beautiful house that I'm currently living in. And if I had to, if I wanted to get a house like this in Toronto, especially with an enormous backyard, I'd be spending like three to four times more. Three to four times more. Oh, like, yeah. That's insane. Easily, easily. Yeah. Uh, a house like I have in. Like it's not a, a super large home or anything like that. It looks bigger because it's open concept, but it's yeah. not an especially large house. It's not on an especially large lot. Yeah, I'd I'd easily be looking at the million range but the, for my the, home alone. The stuff you've done with your with your backyard is to die for. Yeah, with, with the gazebo and the and the hot tub and the pool and just everything. Yeah, it's it's a backyard oasis. Yeah, it is absolutely yeah. for sure. Yeah, um, and that that was important to me because I wanted to move in and get waterfront right away, and there yeah. just wasn't enough waterfront for sale. It was yeah. very much a seller's market when I moved here. Yeah, so I'm like, okay, well, you know what? If I can't get waterfront, I need a pool. Yeah, like that's the only way I'm going to settle. Oh, for sure. Um, so we did. We found one with a pool and kind of installed the hot tub afterwards because yeah. I'm a spoiled rotten little brat. I absolutely love it. <laughs> well, no, you've worked hard for what you have. And I you have. you earned it on your own, right? Yeah, like you absolutely. Have every right. Yeah. And you know, it's you work hard for your money, you play hard with your money. Yeah. Right? As long as your bills at the end of the day are paid, if you've got a little bit extra, you can either treat yeah. yourself by saving it or treat yourself by spending it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Both are treats. It just depends on what you get at the end of it. Uh, yeah. So I decided to treat myself and spend, and I definitely got the hot tub of, I don't know if it's necessarily of my dreams, but it, I'll say it was because I was able to get it in two months. That, so, and that that's fast. <laughs> that is incredibly fast. <laughs> so uh, is that like a Sault Ste. Marie thing? It's like just everything takes forever to get here? No, it was uh, a lot of production was affected by okay. the pandemic that, oh, okay, that yeah. hit us. So it was the time. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. it was. So I had contacted this hot tub company and I'm like, look, I'm moving into the area. I need a hot tub. Like, this is a non-negotiable thing for me. Can you help me out? And I was told, like, there's about an 18-month wait time on these hot tubs right now. Yeah. But we can take your order. And I'm like, I'm going to keep looking because I'm I'm not yet ready to settle for that kind of time period. I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm a little impatient. Yeah. And so because they had my contact details, um, production was starting again for this particular brand of hot tubs. And they called someone and said, hey, you're... Your tub's now ready. Can we get that deposit from you, please? Because yeah. they took this order without a deposit. Okay. And he and the person was like, and he's like, 
this the situation. It's a six to eight person hot tub. Yeah. These are all the different features of it. This is the brand. This is the name. And so I'm like, okay, well, give me give me an hour or so. I just want to research the tub. Yeah. I'm big on reading reviews and, and getting opinions and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, I called him back and I'm like, yes. He's like, when can you give me the deposit on it? I'm like, do you need my credit card right now? And he, so we took it and that was, uh, I think it was November. And he's like, okay, well, the tub's hitting production now. You'll have it by December 6th. Okay. And I'm like, oh gosh, okay. Yeah. For, for great. Uh, ended up getting it in February. There was some delays with, okay. sh- with shipping and manufacturing and what have you. But uh, in February, I had the tub installed yeah. and everything. And it's gotten a lot of use since then. It is definitely a staple in nice. my Yeah, no, I'm waiting back. for the summer. I mean, <laughs> I mean, technically, I guess we could use it during the winter, but like... That's, I use it more in the winter than yeah. I do in the summer, gotcha. to be honest. It's nice, though, because we have a heated pool, but yeah. it's not a bathtub, right? It's just not an icicle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so we enough. get out of the, the pool, and it's usually later in the evening, and yeah. the sun's gone down. There's not really anything to warm you up, so you just jump in the hot tub. Yeah. Brings your body temperature right back up, and then you go in and kind of shut down for the night. So that's how we usually use the hot tub in the yeah. summer. But in the winter, especially during like a light snowfall, yeah, it is absolutely stunning. Oh yeah, um, as well as on really, really, really frigid nights, what'll end up happening is because the moisture from the hot tub evaporates, gets into your hair, yeah. and then you look like Jack Frost. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> your hair is just white with frost and ice, yeah. and uh, it's it's quite a sight. Yeah, fair enough. Wow, that's that's really so. This you explaining all this stuff, you know, it really reminds me of a lot of the stuff that I like about the lifestyle up here in the Sioux. Granted, you know, it goes without say that you know the the city has its challenges. There there is True. a lot of addiction and and poverty and and joblessness, and and there are things that the city needs to overcome. Yes. But one of the things, and you know, I want to say on a more positive note, one of the things that I really like about the lifestyle is that if you are someone like we mentioned earlier, like if you've you know you've worked hard, you've you've saved, you've maybe you've invested a bit, and you and you've been you know strategic about you know where you look for your you know remote employment, building your skills so that you're someone who is eligible for you know decent paying remote employment. You've yep. you've done all that stuff, and 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 if you've found some measure of success, the Sioux despite everything else, can provide you with a really, really comfortable, enjoyable lifestyle. And it's and it, in that 100%. in that way, it's so it, like it's such an overlooked hidden gem in the context of Ontario at large. And, I'll, and the reason I say this is because when I was in this process of transitioning from the GTA to the Sioux, a lot of the people that I knew in the GTA were like, well, I got a range of reactions. I'll say it that way. There, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, there was a range of reactions. One of the types of reactions I would get was, "What's that? I've never heard of it. I've ne- what? What's a suit? What's what's Sault Ste. Marie? Right? Somebody thought I was moving to an island in the Caribbean because the, the the name apparently to them sounded very island exotic really and i'm like okay no it's not an island it's in ontario it's a small town ontario that was that was one weird reaction i got another one was like oh yeah okay yeah we know northern ontario small town stuff like why would you go there what's over there like why and i'm like like how am i supposed to explain this i'm like again (laughs) i'll need a whole podcast to explain this to you have you heard of working remotely and (laughs) earning money from one city and living in a different city okay so then another fascinating reaction i got and this one doesn't really fall into any of the categories because i know i I mentioned like 10 seconds ago it was like oh it was gta reactions people Mm -hmm. from the gta one fascinating reaction i got was actually from 
a local, right, right here in the Sioux. This uh, person was like, you know, they understood a little bit about my life in the GTA, you know, running the company, you know, what yeah. I did for a living and everything else. And it seemed so glamorous to them. And they were like, why would you come here when you have that? And I'm like, ah, oh. I'm like, that, I that, got that a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And this was not like someone who was living a miserable life in the Sioux and they're like, oh, it's so terrible for me. It must be terrible for everyone here. No, they actually are living quite a comfortable life here in the Sioux. And I, I thought that like they would, of all people, they would know like, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, I see there's there's beauty here. Yeah. There's nature. There's the cost of things are less. People have more time for friends and family. Like I, I can honestly say to myself, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, I've made this transition and I'm I'm committed to it. Like I literally, I believe this to my core. I have been happier and more at peace overall uh, living here for the last few months than I did in 10 years in the GTA living in, well, yeah. so 10 years in Mississauga, I bounced around a lot. There was, you know, I went to high school in Richmond Hill and then there was, you know, I went, like you mentioned Kitchener earlier. Yep. So I went to Waterloo for five years for the five oh, year yeah. co-op program thing over there. Like I, I bounced around all kinds of, all different parts of Southern Ontario. Law school was in Windsor. So like I, I've, I seen it all like, like, and then it was after law school, I was like, okay, head back to the GTA that's where my family is. That's where all the corporate scene is. That's right. where I'm going to start my business. Just the idea of leaving that bubble just never even crossed my mind. Like the world, just the, 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 just the, the notion, the notion that there's a world that exists outside the borders of the GTA just did not, was not a notion that my brain even comprehended. And Which is common. It's common. It's very common. It's very sad. Because there's so much more that Canada, Ontario and Canada has to offer outside of the major urban centers. But like the people that are living there don't, oh, I want to, I don't want to generalize, but I want to say perhaps most of the people that are living there are like my brother who like he lives uh, like a three minute walk from Young and Dundas Mm -hmm. and his condo is like tiny. It's very expensive, but it's tiny. And there, like there, nothing, nothing could get him to leave Toronto. Like I could offer him a yacht and a mansion in the Sioux for free. And he'd be like, no, thank you. <laughs> like, it's just, I don't know what it is. I don't know. And, and maybe it's a perception. Uh, Cause I know I encountered a lot of that. And, and really I had to tell a lot of people, I'm like, well, I'm from there for them to be like, oh, okay. Yeah. They didn't really take a lot of other justification other than like it's, it's roots, it's home. But a couple of folks got into a conversation with me about it and, and some of them had mentioned it's it's a perception. Yeah. Right? And and you perceive that Southern Ontario, it's all about convenience, right? You see yeah. Young and Dundas. Yeah. Well, sure, he might have a shoebox apartment, but he doesn't need to store stuff in it because he can just walk yeah. three blocks in any direction and have everything he could Every, possibly yeah. want. Exactly. Yep. You know, even in Kitchener, which yeah. is a big town with a small town feel, I'd describe it as, but I had five different grocery stores and not even the same brand like five different brand grocery stores within a two block radius of my house good lord i if i wanted genuinely anything if i forgot something for dinner zip over to the grocery store you're there and back in two minutes and you're talking like the highest of ends to the lowest of end grocery stores yep um and then if you venture out a little bit further four or five blocks well now i get into your ethnic grocery stores i had uh, a wonderful chinese grocery store that was near me um i'd have one that's more tailored toward indian flavors and spices and it was just a wonderful variety and then a lot of the perception is when you come here to the sioux you give all that up it's all backwater it's all back road it's 
you know, there is no convenience and, you know, it's sad that people think that because there absolutely is. I can still get to a grocery store within five minutes and back home. Like it, it still has that, but that is kind of the perception because when people think of Northern Ontario, they think very small town, very poor community, very spread out. And, And while that's true of some of our you know, the small spread out nature is true yeah. of some of the smaller neighboring communities. The suit just doesn't fit that bill. Yeah. Gotcha. Right. And I, I used to, I grew up in Thessalon, one of those small spread out yeah. communities. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I speak from experience here when I say this is um, the way of life there is entirely different from the way of life in the Sioux. Yeah. Um, the way of life in the Sioux is much closer to what I had as a way of life in Kitchener. Yeah. You know, it's, it's it wasn't a drastic change for me. The major difference here is yeah. now I can jump on my side by side and zip up the road and hit the trails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got parking for ten vehicles, whereas yeah. like in southern Ontario, I barely had parking for two. Yeah, and a garage too. Yes, yeah. I I have a garage. Yeah. Whereas before, like I'd have a one car attached garage. Yeah. Maybe you were lucky and your home had a two car garage. Yeah. Um, but by and large, like you just didn't have a lot of land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then when you go to the GTA, if you even have land at all, you're rich. Um, <laughs> if you're not living in a shoebox in the sky. Yeah, yeah it, exactly. Yeah. You know, that's the one of the things about the GTA area is just your eyes are always drawn up. Yeah. Because everybody lives up. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have any space left to go out, so they yeah. go up. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. But we have high rises here. Yeah. Sure, there's not nearly as many of them. We don't yeah. have as many as many people but uh we don't need them like, no what 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 function do they you know perform like, exactly and and like the city still is growing outwards yeah. you know my subdivision for example my home is now seven years old but they're still building in my area that's a fantastic area i've yeah. seen those houses there it's yeah. it's really safe it's really secure it's yeah. beautiful land we've got nature trails and parks nearby um you got an OPP officer on either side of your yes, house. Yes. That's uh, so cool. Firefighters too. Yep. Firefighters. I think that's the coolest thing yeah, ever. within like four houses of my yeah, house, like yeah. OPP on one side, OPP on the yeah, other, and then yeah. I've got a fireman two more doors down, Amazing. and then I've got an EMT or a paramedic that's across the way. Amazing. Um, so, yeah, it's a very safe and secure neighborhood. The things yeah. you didn't have to pay for, but you just yeah. get as a perk with it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I would estimate they're putting in at least another 20 houses. Yeah. Right, so well, maybe maybe I'll get one of them. There's still more room to go anyway. <laughs> I'll, I'll buy one pre-construction. <laughs> yeah, you might want to jump on it because yeah, they're really pricing those things up. They're yeah, having a hard time selling them. I've heard about yeah. There's like this, you know, locals in the sewer. Well, I guess I, I'm local now in the sewer, <laughs> but yeah. like longtime locals in the sewer are saying like, well, you know, the pricing of the ha- like real estate prices today. Although if you look at like the last six to twelve months, they are cooling. But if you look at the overall trend in the Sioux over the last five to 10 years, they have been skyrocketing from what I've been oh, told. Absolutely. And they're like the, the local market, like the local community is being priced out of the market. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Like I was reading an article in the Sioux today about a uh, Toronto investor who had bought up something like 129 properties. And he had, he, yeah. he did this through like, two dozen numbered company corporations or whatever. So like, it's it's like he's basically that whole operation sounds like to me that it's a big game of monopoly, just buying up as, as many plots of land as possible for business investment purposes and not necessarily to live in them. Um, and that's naturally going to have an impact on the local well, community for people who want to live in houses. Even people like us, right? Yeah. So we're, we're relocating 
yes. um, from a larger area. Yeah. So uh, if we look around our original hometowns and the price points anywhere from one to five million, and then you come to the city here and you've got a price point of 400,000 on a big house and you're like, well, I'll give you five for that. Just, just don't entertain <laughs> yeah. any other offers. And yeah. that's nothing for us. But for yeah. the local folk around here, they're like, that house is barely worth three and a half. What are you doing? Yeah, that doesn't sound fair. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. they're like, well, I don't have a big city salary. I can't afford yeah. to compete with you. Gotcha. So there's there's a lot of that happening. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to say I did not um, have to resort to any of those tactics to acquire no, my home. No, I, just had I to, didn't do that either. I had yeah. to play a big game of risk because yeah. mine had fallen through four other times yeah. with other people. And I'm like, well, is this going to be the time it sticks? Yeah. Um, well, but I will say that like when housing was going like housing prices were going absolutely bananas during the height of the pandemic in Ontario. Yeah. Like that that summer 2020, summer 2021 momentum. Mm-hmm. So the the person who owned my house before me acquired their ha- this house around the time of that sort of like really, really hot market. Oh, yes. So they already paid more than they should have for the house because right. because the, the like Ontario was outpacing pretty much everywhere in the country. Every and other market. Every other market. You look at the entire G7 and yeah. Ontario was up there at the very top in terms of yeah. how fast prices were skyrocketing. Okay, so that's the context for how previous owner bought their house, bought this house. Then I came along and I look at their asking price and like any owner, they want to sell it for more than they bought it. Right. They okay. want to make their, their money back and then some. And then some. Yeah. Like like anyone who sells a house wants to. Absolutely. But I had to ask myself, I'm like, okay, if I were to do that, like if I were to buy at that asking price, I feel like I'd just be sort of, I'd, I'd sort of be, you know, treating the market as if we're still in that sort of hot market yeah. zone even though by the time I was shopping for houses, the market was supposedly cooling. Everything I was reading in the media was saying that, okay, we're, we're in for a correction. Housing prices are going to come down because they've been grossly overvalued. Yep. And, and things are going to start to slowly level out. I have some theories that, on, yeah, on how was, that led to that. that. <laughs> that's why I was reading stuff like that. I'm yeah. like, oh, okay, maybe maybe it's a good time to think about buying a house because their prices are coming down now. Yeah. So when I when I look at this, I'm like, okay, well, if I if I do pay asking price, something to, I, I felt torn because I was like, by GTA standards, this is a phenomenal price, right? But by Sue standards, I feel like I'm overpaying, and I feel like the previous owner is trying to keep this hot market lasting longer than it should. You yeah. know, D- just for their own personal self interest, they want to wash their hands of the property before a real correction comes along and, and drops housing prices, you yeah. know, whatever they're, I don't know what, I never spoke to the previous owner. I don't know what they were thinking or what was in their mind. I'm just speculating. Well, true. So, and real estate agents do play a role here as well in advising. Yeah, they do. Yep. They do. And, and, you know, my agent sort of uh, encouraged me to offer more because yep. there was another offer on the property. And, you know, she's like, if you really want the property, you're going to have to offer, you know, make it, make a competitive offer. Right. And this was, you know, at a time when you can't, you couldn't know what the other offers were. I understand that there's, it's not in, implemented now, but in this, at some point in the future, the the government was talking about how they're going to ban blind bidding, and you're going to be able to see the amount of the other offers and stuff, and then that 
it I theoretically look to that future. I look forward to that future. I don't think anyone knows exactly what's going to happen, but there's been so much aggressive talk about it from the government. But it's just, you know, I want to see it actually happen. Right. So anyway, point being is I didn't know what the amount of the other offer was. For all I know, and I'm not accusing anyone of anything. For all I know, they got some one of their friends to just put in an offer for a dollar just mm-hmm. to say that there's two, three, whatever, four offers on the property. And then and then that way you're like you're saying they're like, oh, no, there's another offer. I, I should increase the amount that I'm offering. Right. Like they, they, they yeah. kind of in, in, and you would think that like, you know, the, the traditional sort of theory goes the seller's real estate agent is going to try to boost the price as high as possible. Right. And the buyer's agent is going to try to get you the best deal as possible. Like right. it's, it's two opposing forces. That has not been my experience. It's like, well, both agents on the buying and selling side just kind of want to see a deal happen. The number yeah. that they eventually land on, as long as the deal is happening, everybody gets paid and everybody's happy. Yeah. They, I don't think either, either of them really, like, I mean, if they, okay, again, actually, let me put it this way. If the final closing price is higher, which is obviously against the best interests of the buyer, right? the buyer's agent ends up with a larger commission. So 100%, the, so the yeah, buyer's it's a agent percentage based of what it sells. Well, sells the, for the it. buyer is, a buyer's agent is is splitting the commission yeah. with the listing agent. Yeah, exactly. Now again, like I I plan to have real estate agents on this podcast because I think they have a lot of very interesting insight to offer. So yeah. I'm not sitting here shitting on real estate agents. Hey, that's I, my I, industry. I, yeah. So I, I spent a decade for, in it. For context, I have a degree in economics, and I'm very fascinated by the financial incentives that influence people's economic choices. That's yeah. all it is. So when I look at this and I say a buyer's agent has, no matter how you slice it, a financial incentive to close at a higher price, even though they've been hired to do the opposite. So yeah. what do you do? Do you sort of try your best to do what your client is expecting you to do? Or do you allow this financial incentive to to, to motivate you to do something else? Well, but then right? you really kind of got to bring it back though. It's, Real estate is now and forever will be a relationship game. Yes. So you have to balance that need and want for that higher commission. Yeah. With if I get found out, my reputation is in shambles. Yeah. There's a bigger picture. There, yeah, a hundred percent there is, and, and because I do agree with you wholeheartedly, like that is very enticing. Yeah. Right. Like if you can get this deal to close for an extra hundred thousand, that's. Yeah you know, 3% carry the zero. You yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's very easy to get wrapped up and trapped in that economic side of things. Yeah. And sometimes um, you kind of have to bring it back down and remember the bigger picture of the, the relationships that you're building. Um, you know, but I also come from an area where in Kitchener, you, you purposefully list your home low. Oh, yeah. To encourage a bidding war. To encourage the bidding war. Oh, yeah. Um, and, like, that was advised to me. Like, again, I, I've been in real estate for 10 years. That's kind of my nerd. I really enjoy real estate, talking about it, working in it, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so I was really close friends with the the agent that was selling my home. Yeah. And we were having a casual conversation about it. And it's the mentality that it creates by lowering your home price yeah and you know i did end up getting almost 150,000 over asking which is nuts that's fantastic yeah it's it's right around where we were hoping to be but yeah. you know it's it's one of those things where as a seller you're nervous to list for that price yeah 
much like I'm sure your seller was nervous to list for that price because if, if they only moved in a very short time ago, if you sell your house within the first five years, you're taking a loss on it. Yeah. Unless the market has increased to sudden untold degree, you're, yeah. you're taking a loss if you sell within the first five years, generally yeah. speaking. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, it, it's a nerve thing because they're nervous to, to get something underneath, under what they need. You're nervous to offer above because you're like, okay, well, yeah. You know, and, and I've been through this. I've bought and sold a couple houses by this point. Yeah. And even here, like I was competing, I every house I've ever put an offer on, I've competed on. Every house I've sold yeah. has had competing offers. Yep. So 100% I understand those nerves. Yeah. Um, but that advice of like offer over, there's yeah. already an offer, offer over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think that kind of comes down to, I haven't seen or heard of an offer that's under in a very long time. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping we'll get there again, right? Like there's probably people that, that may listen that are yeah. like, oh, well, when I bought my house, it was $100,000 asking. They were really over, yeah. over inflating their own home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And nowadays, if you offer 100000 like... I know legally the agent is supposed to read it to the the seller anyways, right? Yeah, you have yeah, to present yeah. everything. Yeah. But how thoroughly is that happening? Yeah, yeah. Is it more of like a hey Cindy, yeah, we got an offer, hundred K under, not gonna bother you with any of the details, but now you're aware that this happened. <laughs> yeah. Have yeah. a great day. Yeah, have Bye. a great day. Yeah. Right? It's, <laughs> it's, there's a lot of creativity that can be taken in this in yeah. this industry. So yeah. You know, the the real estate agents seeing those big dollar signs, you know, kind of bringing this back around and, and seeing that, but their understanding of a relationship, like it's such a nuanced and complicated industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. of that. Um, but yeah, you're you're 100% right. You never know what's going to happen on the other end because yeah. of the blind bids and everybody's incentivized to get more money. Yeah. Real estate, it. It, it's on the outside is a very lucrative industry, but only if you're really, really yeah. good at it. I've, I've always found it so fascinating just because there are so many professionals who hover around a real estate transaction Oh, um, it is but, nuanced. Yeah, before, during, and after. Like Absolutely. it is it is such like when you sit down and you really think about the enormous impact and when I say impact, I want to say in in a lot of ways for the better. Yeah. Well, in in society that 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 the way our real estate commercial environment is set up. What I mean by that is this. You know, we have a whole bunch of houses and condos and farmland and stuff out there. Every single day they're changing hands. Yep. Somebody's buying, somebody's selling. Okay, great. But look at all the people that are making a living off of that. Jobs that are being created. Income for people so that they can put food on the table. It is a massive, Re- massive industry. Yeah. Real estate agents we, we've talked about and that they're the people that get the most attention. But there's all these other, there's, there's uh, appraisers. Yep. There's home inspectors. Yes. There are real estate lawyers. Yes. Uh, there are uh, mortgage brokers. Lot that lot, ton of mortgage brokers in Ontario now. So many people are are getting into the mortgage brokering industry because they're attracted by these you know attractive commissions and everything else that you can earn if you work really hard. Yeah. If you're not a, a you know independent broker, you you might be an employee of a bank, and then your your job is to sort of represent the bank and in, in g- getting as much mortgage business as possible. Yep. Who else? Oh yeah, and then after you you take possession of the house. A lot of people, after they buy a new house, they want to do something to it. They want to You want to have your mind blown for just a minute? Sure. Let's come back to even pre-sale. Yeah, sure. Your sign printers. 
Okay. Right? So now you have an entire industry that's just creating yes. signage. Yes, yeah, signage. That's right. Yeah. Yep. As I've known brokerages that actually have signage companies built into their company because it is such a heavy aspect of it. Yep. Um, and then on top of that, you have stagers. Yep, stagers. You have an entire industry of people that are coming in just to make your home presentable. More recently, drone photographers. Yes. And, and, and drone footage... Uh, in some contexts, is a is a licensed activity. Yes, there are certain things you can do with a drone that you don't have to have a license for. For, but um, and, and I get, I forget what the 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 rules are around it. But like, I want to go ahead and say that if you're doing it professionally in terms of real estate photography, you probably have to have some level of licensing, or or at least real estate agents will ask you to do you have a license to do this right. before they hire you to do something like that. But yeah, drone photographers is another one. Like three sixty photographers. Yeah. Oh yeah, like, yeah. Virtual tours, virtual yep. tours. Like, yeah, that's a really yep. big one. Like yep. a Matterport or something like yep. that. I've it heard takes, of Matterport. Yeah, it takes hours sometimes, yep. depending on who you have coming in. Can take minutes. How detailed do you really want this? Yep. Um, but it's just as yeah. somebody who worked in integrating that entire community. Yes. Yeah. You know, you have your selling gifts. Yep. You know, you're buying and you're selling gifts. Uh, at the end, the industry. Oh yeah. Is it's. Vast. It's and, unbelievable. Yeah. And a lot of times only people only see it as a real estate agent. They're like, what's the value? Yeah. Um, and, you know, as somebody that probably could buy and sell her own home, I would never, yeah. ever, ever do it myself because I know all of these inner workings and what happens. And I'm like, that agent's yeah. going to represent me better than I ever possibly could myself. Yeah. And, and some of the people that we listed a moment ago, they also employ and create jobs for other people. 100%. When, when I mentioned real estate lawyers... Well, real estate lawyers, generally speaking, can't handle all that work by themselves. So they hire law clerks. Yes. Um, They might hire process servers to like deliver documents and all kinds of stuff like that, couriers, right? So, so, you know, there, there are the professionals that deal directly with the, the buyer and seller of land. So, you know, you're, you're a vendor of a piece of real estate property. You're dealing directly with your real estate agent. You're dealing directly with your real estate lawyer. But those professionals are creating jobs for other people, like you just said. Like the real estate agent is creating work and income for stagers, for photographers. Like these stagers and photographers and stuff like that usually don't find customers direct. They have have a a person that they know. Yeah, they know a real estate agent and the real estate agent gives them work to do. There's so much in our economy that's being fueled by by the the real estate world that I think is really, really... And I mean, I, I owe a great debt to it because one of the busiest, most uh, profit-generating departments in my law firm w- when I owned it was real estate. And and it, depending on the month, it was either real estate or it was divorces. There's um, definitely seasonality in both of those things. Yeah. Oh, you're, <laughs> you're right. You're right. Uh, in fact, there we used to talk around the office that Amongst family lawyers, unofficially, this isn't like an official thing or anything, but amongst family lawyers uh, in Ontario, we sometimes call January divorce month. Oh, this the Christmas yeah. holidays are over. Yeah, so there's it's multiple. Not be as impactful. Yeah. I can see that. It, there's multiple reasons. That's one of them. Yeah. People who've already decided they want a divorce will wait until after the holidays yep. to break the news to their partner. That's one reason, but there's only one. There's there's a second reason, which is the outrageous. And out of control spending that people engage in during December, oh. their credit card statements and bills come in in January, and then they fight with each other about money, and then that prompts a divorce. Always money. So that's one. 
Um, it's really, it's, it's really, those are the two big ones. People were waiting for the holidays to be over for emotional reasons. And then there's also the financial well, stuff. I can actually al- yeah. also see a third. I don't know if you've experienced with it, but the in-laws, if you will. Oh yeah. Right? Yeah. If you had a big the fight ex- with your in-laws and the, the experience holidays, you yeah. have at Christmas yeah. and, and during the holiday season, whatever it is you celebrate. Oh yeah. Um, as the family comes together, that's usually a lot of personalities in the yeah. same room. And well, you didn't defend me. Oh, well you embarrassed me. Right. Like yeah. the fights and yep. that come out of that. I could definitely see that being a contributing yeah. factor. And the whole new year, new me. They're oh, like, I want to yes. start fresh. I'm going to get rid of this old relationship and I'm going to start something else. Yep. Stuff like that. Yeah. So there's, there's all these things that, that, that contribute to the breakdown of relationships. And at the end of the day, it's sort of, it, I always thought it was a little bit sad that they, and I didn't understand this when I was a young man choosing a career, but the, 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 the income that a lawyer receives is directly proportionate to the amount of pain and suffering in society in a certain ways, right? Yeah. You don't, you don't hope yeah. for a marriage to break down. You don't hope for all the trauma of a divorce because it is a traumatic experience yeah. going through one. And lawyers profit when stuff like that happens. When a crime is committed, lawyers profit because they can go and defend the guy, girl who did it, whatever. Yeah. Or if you're a prosecutor, it keep, keeps you, you know, having a job to keep prosecuting cases. So yep. they... I, I won't go as so far as to say they want crime to happen. I mean, I guess it depends on the individual lawyer, but they're financially rewarded if crime happens. There's a lot and, of different personalities in that industry. Yeah, say. exactly. Right. Like, so it, it's like, it's almost like, um, and getting back to the whole real estate thing, like that's, that's one of the few types of law where you're not like profiting off of human suffering. Like people are just, they're just buying and selling houses. Every, well, everybody's just, they want to live in a house or they want to invest in a house and you're just helping them do that. It's like, funny. Like a lot of people <laughs> talk about the wedding as the best day of their life. Right. And you know what? I get that, but I've, I've worked with buyers Yeah. and I got to tell you the day that they find out they got their dream home. Oh yeah. Close second. Oh my God. Yes. Um, you yeah. know, like, childbirth comes up right around there, but a lot of them underappreciate the level yeah. of excitement and enjoyment they get out of finding out they got their dream home. Oh yeah. You know, right. If, if you were to go to somebody that's happily 50 years married and you ask them what the happiest moments of their life were, they'd probably tell you marriage, childbirth, you know, all that stuff could be graduation of a child, but none yeah. of them ever really kind of remember the pur- purchase of their first dream home. Yeah. But I got to tell you, being somebody in that room as a as a observer, yeah, a third party to that, I've seen tears oh, of, yeah. of joy and happiness, but I've also seen tears of despair and sorrow. Yeah, yeah. You know, you found out you were outbid. Um, oh, you yeah. lost the home, right? That's like, so sad, yeah. It is equally the the best day and one of the worst days. Yeah. All, all based on this blind bid, yeah, you know, right? Yeah. Bringing it back to yeah, that blind yeah, bid. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Um, that to me is like with you talking about family law and, and yeah. divorce and then us talking about real estate law, which let's face it, if you're talking to a lawyer, you're, you've got accepted. The home yeah. is yours. You're just now processing your legal paperwork. Correct. Um, so it's, it's just so different. Yeah. Right. The yeah. Seasonality is there, but just the level of emotion. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. It, it's just, I, now that you're saying that, like I'm looking back on my journey of buying this house and there was so many emotions that I was yeah. experiencing. Every, every emotion under the sun, like the, the joy, stress, anxiety, uncertainty, fear, excitement, yeah. everything. And I wasn't even going through the process. I was going through it, you know, more or less as a bachelor at the time. And and the thing, and I'm a bit of a, 
people who know me well know that I'm a, a bit of a romantic, but like, so that's the, <laughs> that's, that's my precursor to my, my subsequent comment, which is for me, this house was yes, exciting. And like, yeah, I wanted to furnish it a certain way and I want to build a podcast studio and make a really nice looking living room and all that stuff. Yes. But the thing that made it a home that really, you know, multiplied my my happiness by by tenfold was was having Tracy and Jay, you know, move in. Before yeah. that, it was just me alone in this big place. Well, it's it's and that like, classic house versus home. Correct. Right? Exactly. It's it's just it, a it was just a house, and then it became a home. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred yeah, yeah. percent, and. You know, that, that happens is either you are buying something because it's a pre-made home, right? You have your family and moving in with you, or you yes. buy something with the hopes of one day making it making, a home. Making it happen. Exactly. Um, Build it and they will come. Exactly. And, and whether <laughs> that's that... What happens. That's yeah, what happened. Yeah. Whether that comes from finding that right person and bringing yeah. them in or finding that... F- that right furry footed animal to bring into your home, right? Families yeah. take on so many different shapes and sizes, but that is always the biggest thing is when people are buying a house and nobody buys it because it's a house. People buy it because it's a home. Yeah. Because they have, you know, a vision of what they want their life exactly. to look like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and on all of that, right. They're buying that hope. They're buying that dream. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's just the level of, just emotion yeah and it's incredible yeah it, it, it is it's it, and that's part of like not only is it a very nuanced and complicated industry which is what i love i'm a puzzle lover yeah but it also has such ability to elicit such emotion and reaction and response from people yeah but it's probably one of the most overlooked ones oh yeah yeah that's this is one of the reasons um one of my motivations for creating this podcast was to tell the stories of real people in the Sioux and build a sense of local community. And I mean, like this is a place that already has a very strong sense of local community. You see it in like the Facebook groups that people are part of and like, and you know, a lot of this sort of like everybody knows everybody sort of thing, but like you very rarely get an opportunity to sit down with uh, an interesting person from the community for two to three hours and really take a deep dive into their stories. And I, I, I want to be able to hear stories about people experiencing those very profound emotions of like, you know, they created this home in the Sioux and then their life unfolded a certain way. Like for example, someone that I'd, I'd like to interview later and, and depending on when you're listening to this episode, maybe that episode is already out. I don't know. But as of this very second where I'm saying it, it's, it, it hasn't happened yet. But one of my, my friends uh, here in the Sioux uh, was a firefighter for the Sault Ste. Marie Fire Department for 36 years, I believe. Very interesting. Yeah, he's retired now, but I've hung out with him at Chuck's Roadhouse a few times and just listened to his stories from like back in the day, back in the glory days where like the cr- kind of crazy stuff he's seen. I it's, may or it's may it's not like, even be involved in something. <laughs> yeah. won't go into that. Yeah, so like I've, I've, I've been wanting to have him on the show and to have him retell some of these stories and he told me that he would. But there's just, there's so much emotion and nostalgia behind stuff like that and i think so going back to earlier in this conversation very much earlier in this conversation we we, we were talking briefly about like the, the the city having sort of multiple sides to it mm. there there's like you know there's there's the, yes there's a certain degree of struggling and, and addiction and, and economic struggles uh there's also other sides to it where people are living comfortable exciting lifestyles 
and and maybe maybe there's a whole bunch of stuff in between there. Yeah. But the reason I'm bringing that up again because it's related to the point that I'm making now, which is the more we can tell the stories of real people from the Sioux in a way that's that's focused for the local community, like in a way that okay, maybe if you're outside of Northern Ontario, the podcast and the people that are being interviewed, maybe they don't have a lot of relevance to you. But I, I did that intentionally. That was the, the goal behind it was for it to be hyper-focused on building local community, not to have like a million followers from every corner of the globe. And like all the stuff we're talking about is relevant to everyone. Or like, no, it's, That's it's podcast channel too. Yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, like there's, there's more than enough podcasts out there that are intended for the entire planet. And they're trying to become as big as possible. This one is, is meant to be, have a local focus to it. And, and, and there's a reason for that. And then, and getting back to it, like I was like thinking to myself, you can really change and improve uh, for the better. The, sort of reputation and and brand for a lack of a better word mm-hmm. of a city by talking to the people in that city interesting people who've done interesting things taking a deep dive into their lives and and putting that out there for the world to see and to enjoy and to hear and that maybe through these stories we can get a better understanding of the Sioux and the people that live in it and what it's all about and through that better understanding, more and more people start to find reasons to be proud of their community rather than believing negative stereotypes about the community. You see what I mean? I, so 100%. That's there's, where I was trying to go with it. There's a lot of negative, I would say. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people have a very negative opinion. And I think that's unfortunate, but it is typically the negative that gets them more, more focused. Yeah. It doesn't matter what... It, doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Negative always screams louder than positive. Yeah. And yeah. it takes, you know, 10 positive to outweigh a negative, right? Like it is just so disproportionate yeah. that people think negative. And I love the the idea of focusing positive yeah. and, you know, if we need to get to 10 positive to outweigh that one negative, well, this is one more of those positives, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. Um, yeah. And, you know, from somebody even... I've been out of this community for so many years. It's yeah. it's sometimes hard to break back into it. Yeah, gotcha. Or even as somebody that's new to the area that perhaps yeah. wasn't born and raised nearby. Brand new, yep. Um, it's hard to break into it. As you mentioned, yeah. there's a there's a big sense of community here. Oh, yeah. But these communities, they're typically around people that they've known most of their lives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? It's very difficult to break into to a, a friend group or... A, uh, it's it's funny you say that. It's funny you say that because... So he, I'll, I'll tell you a story. So one of my uh, colleagues at the firm, uh, I was speaking to him. He had um, lived in the Sioux for some time. Yep. And before I moved here, naturally, I asked him a couple of questions. Not like, you know, I'd already made the decision to move, but I decided to ask him anyway. It's not like I was like, hey, you know, like, I have some questions for you. And depending on your answers, I'm either going to move or I'm not. Like, <laughs> I had already made up my mind, but I, I was curious. I was like, hey, man, like, uh, I know that you lived up in the Sioux for a few years. Could you tell me what your experience was like? Uh, anything I should know? You know, just curious. If you don't, no problem. And then he was like, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's a nice place to live if you like outdoor stuff. There's lots of stuff to do outdoors. And he's like, the one thing I will tell you, and before I say what he said to me, I will, I will clarify that what he described has not been my experience here. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So what he said to me was this. He's like, since you're not from there, since you're not born and raised there, all this stuff, you're an outsider coming from Southern Ontario and everything. He's like, it's, it's very likely that you're not going to be able to 
find any sort of like social acceptance. You're not going to, it's going to be very difficult to make new friends. You know, it's just, it's, it's going to be tough. So, you know, sort of prepare for the certain level of isolation. And that just hasn't been my experience. And, and, and again, like, you know, people are different, you know, maybe the way that I navigate my social relationships might be a little bit different than the way that he does or whatever. But like uh, when I came here, I found that I, <laughs> I almost had the opposite problem where I was exposed to such a wide variety of different personalities. And I mean a wide variety for better or worse. <laughs> you know where I'm going with that, where it's like, yep. I've, I've, I've met, I've had the pleasure of me like you're, you're for people who don't know, uh, Cindy is my girlfriend's sister. So my girlfriend's name is Tracy. So Cindy is Tracy's sister. So I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting you and your family and it's been just absolutely incredible. And I'm, I'm just so happy and so glad to have met you all. And on the other end of the spectrum, like I've had the misfortune of, you know, socializing with, partying with like the people who have unfortunately like drug addiction problems, Mm -hmm. hang around with criminals and stuff like that. And it's just, it just left a bad taste in my mouth. I'm like, you know, this is not the world that I come from. Like I'm a successful professional. I can't be, you know, I, I can't be spending my evenings with these like types of individuals who are making very, very reckless choices with their lives that and, I might have to represent it a month. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're getting in trouble with the law. Like you're getting yeah. your 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 money situation, your financial security is being thrown out the door because of your addiction problems. Like there's just it was really sad to see that, but I was also surprised at the fact that I was so readily able to find and integrate with and socialize with such a variety of people. And once I sort of like was able to recover from the whiplash of that, <laughs> I was able to find like, okay, these are my people, right? Mm -hmm. Like these are people who are like, they care about their careers and their ambitions and their goals and their values. And they're not into like, you know, like screwing up their lives in 19 different ways, right? Like I was able to sort of like settle into it. And 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 like I said, it was, you know, what I've lived through here in the past four months or so has just not been, uh, consistent with the sort of like doom and gloom warnings that I was given, so I'm, yeah. I'm and I'm very very glad that that it worked out that way. So and I think it really does come down to who do you meet at the beginning? Yeah, right. Where do they introduce you? Where do they bring you? And you know, I've had a similar experience to what you have. Yeah. And because I've been gone for so long, like I don't have a lot of existing ties here. I don't have a lot of childhood friends and and whatnot. So it's more of I come to the city and meet new people. Yeah. And I've I've met some absolutely wonderful people yeah. being here um you know I'm, I'm friends with a number of them i've got to meet you and then i've i've danced around some of those same yeah. circles where i've i've had close friends kind of get pulled into them and yeah and go down a path that's really kind of sad to see and it's just doesn't matter how much help you offer until yeah. they're ready to accept that help there's yeah. not much you can really do besides yeah kind of hope for them um, but it's, it really is entirely on who you meet and who you open yourself up to. Yeah. And you know, if, if you're somebody that's very difficult 
to open up to people yeah. or to meet people or to just walk up to a random stranger, which I doubt either you or I would ever have a problem walking up to a stranger and being like, yeah. hi, yeah, how yeah, are yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're both kind of blessed in that. Yeah. But if that's not something that's that's really you or something that um, you find very easy or acceptable to do, yeah. then that's going to be, that's where you kind of run into that. It's very isolating. Yeah. Um, because gotcha. you don't. You don't always have a lot of people coming up and, and introducing themselves and saying, hey, yeah. you look new here. Um, obviously, if you go to certain establishments, certain, um, you know, the Esquire Club is, is fantastic for this, where it's just a, a lovely group of people that get together to play a bunch of different games and yeah. uh, different bands and whatnot that happen there. But it's a very friendly culture Yeah, where if you're there and you're new and it's a yeah. dart night for whatever reason, um everybody will introduce themselves, right? Like it's a wonderful group of people, but not all establishments are like that. A lot of establishments, there's very close knit yeah. groups and, and you can go and be there lost in a sea of people and not one single person will turn to you and say hi. So it's really on you to yeah. say hi. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah. if it's, if it's not something you're welcome or willing or able to do for whatever reason, I can definitely see yeah. how that would be very isolating. Yeah, um, same as like, I would love to meet with, um, other people within my industry. So you've mentioned I'm very technical. I'm, yeah. I work in software development. Yeah. There's not a lot of software development meetup here. And that's such a shame. I know. Like uh, there, there's, there's a potential for that, especially with software where so much of what software professionals do is remote work. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine you had a, robust community like software hub in the Sioux where people are making money from from their skills with clients all around the world really at this yeah. point yeah yeah because you you know you can you can as long as you have a high-speed internet connection mm -hmm. and a place to do your work which the Sioux can provide both absolutely <laughs> you can sit down and you can start a software firm and and your customers could be in the States and Australia and the UK all over. And you could, you could be charging them in us dollars yeah, and then go buy one of these beautiful $400,000 to St. Marie <laughs> houses, right? Like <laughs> living the dream, living the dream. Yeah. There's so much potential for software to, to improve our economy. And I think skills development is, I know I cut you off. No. Skills development is really important with that. Like if you take the a, a population of people who are, are born and raised here who have every intention of staying here and they want to see their community thrive and they're just looking for skills. You can say, I will teach you to program. Yeah. I will teach you to build things that people will pay for online. And you can actually invest in the human capital that exists in this, in this city as well. Well, and, and that I think is really interesting because I know growing up, um, and maybe this was a product of my age, perhaps, but I didn't know what software development was. Right. Like, it was not something that I ever grew up knowing about, wanting to engage in. It was completely foreign to me. Yeah, gotcha. And then when I moved down south, obviously, I did choose Silicon Valley of Ontario, of Canada. Yeah. Right? I moved into, like, Waterloo. Waterloo area, yeah. Waterloo area. Loved living there. Um, yeah. <laughs> very tech forward. Yeah, absolutely. But... I think that in these communities, there's a lot more people that could benefit from that awakening, if you will, that yeah. there's more out there than trades. And I love trades. And I think that the the Sioux is, has a wealth of trade jobs available oh, for sure. yeah. that just aren't available down south. Yeah. Um, it's built very much into the culture, yeah. the, the social fabric of the community. A hundred percent. But that's not right for everybody. Yeah. Um, you need well. You need all sectors to, exactly. to, to have a thriving city. Yeah, and, that, and that's it. Is I would love to participate in some way in the spin of that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Of being able to keep these 
what start out as kids here locally. Yeah. Right? Because that's the big thing. People leave this community to go explore and, and take on these challenges and learn these new skills, become these software programmers, but they don't typically come home. Yeah. Gotcha. So now what we are looking at as a potential future is being able to stay local, being able to practice your skill, being able to learn about these things, practice these things yeah. and having that well-rounded community yeah. uh, where you no longer have to go 500, 900, 1500 miles or kilometers yeah. away yeah, yeah. to pursue your career. You can stay local regardless of what it is you're trying to accomplish. Yeah. Now, obviously not everything is going to be remote friendly, um, but there is a lot out there that is more and more remote friendly now than it has ever been in our past. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think we should wrap it up there, Jay. Uh, I think so. How, how long are we at on the clock? Exactly an hour and a half. An hour and a half. Oh, <laughs> Can wow. you, just like that. It went by just like that. We didn't even need a drink in front of us. My drink is still upstairs. I mean, after <laughs> this, I could definitely uh, benefit yeah. from one. Yeah. But, we'll, uh, we'll have one. We'll go out to the fire pit, which was the original plan. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's what we came over <laughs> to do That's what we came here right? to do. Yeah. And, and it's only, eh, it's only 9.59. The night is still young. Yeah. <laughs> 10 o'clock. <laughs> is it past your bedtime, Jay? No. <laughs> no. That's like 12 o'clock or something. It's Perfect. Nighttime. All right. <laughs> it's a Let's, weekend. Come on. Let's wrap it up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, We'll see you next time on the Soup Podcast. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Soup Podcast. Follow us on Spotify, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. And be sure to check out our website at souppodcast.com. That's S-O-O podcast.com.